Eco Report is a weekly public affairs program providing independent media coverage of environmental and ecological studies with a focus on local, state, and regional people, issues, and events in order to foster open discussion of human relationships with nature and the earth and to encourage you to take personal responsibility for living sustainably in the world. EcoReport is produced by an independent team of volunteers working at the studios of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana and financially supported by listeners like you. Hello, and welcome to Eco Report. For WFHB, I'm Juliana Daly. And I'm Cynthia Roberts. And now for your environmental reports. Midwest Energy reports on a solar project that almost developed by accident. Larry Graham found himself scrambling when a farmer who had been renting a parcel of his land for three decades kind of bailed out. Graham, like many farmers, had to find a way to keep earning revenue from the land that had been in his family since 1842. Graham figured leasing it for solar panels would be a good fit and started doing research online. He came across a company called Solential Energy on Facebook and figured, quote, what the hell? I'll call them up and pitch my idea, end quote. The timing was fortuitous as Solential happened to be looking for land for a major array in partnership with the Hendricks Power Rural Electric Cooperative that serves 35,000 members in central Indiana. Things moved quickly as they hoped to get the project underway before federal tax credits expired, Graham said, though thankfully the investment tax credit was extended during the pandemic. Now ground is being broken for a 7-megawatt installation of more than 19,000 panels covering almost 60 acres of Graham's land, the largest solar array for a rural municipal electric cooperative in Indiana, and the largest array in Solential's 13-year history. It will replace some of the power the cooperative buys from larger cooperative and wholesaler Wabash Valley Power Alliance, which gets 35% of its power from coal, plus 28% from fixed-priced contracts from other generators. Graham sees it as a major win-win situation, as he's now earning double the revenue compared to when the land was planted with corn and soybeans. Researchers are combing far and wide to find solutions to keeping beehives healthy. Work at Indiana University identified a microbe that may help protect honeybees against poor nutrition, which can worsen stresses that cause declining populations. Their findings were published in the Indy Star. The team of researchers published findings that show the microbe Bombella apis is the only bacterium to withstand the diet of growing honeybees and can also synthesize all the essential amino acids needed for a healthy bee. Adult honeybees with poor nutrition during growth stages were smaller and did not live as long, the report shows. The new findings are important because honeybees help pollinate food crops, and beekeepers across the country have reported losing about 40% of their colonies between 2015 and 2016, the report says. 
This loss can threaten the multi-billion dollar agriculture industry. Lead author Audrey Parrish said shorter lives mean fewer foraging flights. This puts the entire colony in a cycle of poor nutrition as less foraging will lead to pollen-starved larvae and eventually colony collapse. One stress always noted in colonies is poor nutrition, Paris said. Quote, that feedback loop can pretty quickly crash a colony, so the implication is pretty dire for not having the right nutrition as larvae, end quote. The Detroit Free Press reports that the states of Illinois, Indiana, and Wisconsin have signed an agreement with Michigan to add charging stations and boost electric vehicle use around Lake Michigan. The voluntary agreement moves forward with an EV infrastructure initiative announced by the Whitner administration in 2021. The effort, known as the Lake Michigan Electric Vehicle Circuit Tour, is geared toward tourism, and Governor Gretchen Whitmer touted its promise, quote, Michigan is proud to lead the Lake Michigan Electric Vehicle Circuit Tour, a partnership between fellow Midwestern states to grow our economy, create more good-paying jobs, and lead the future of mobility and electrification, end quote. Whitmer said in a news release, quote, with this announcement, we are putting the country on notice that the Midwest is the place to be for clean energy and small business growth. The circuit will allow travelers to experience Lake Michigan and visit countless communities in and around the route, end quote. The News and Tribune reports the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency announced that the Indiana portion of the Louisville area has been formally redesignated to attain the 2015 National Ambient Air Quality Standard for ground-level ozone. Air monitoring data from 2019 through 2021 show the area now meets the national standard set to protect public health. EPA has also approved Indiana's maintenance plan to ensure that the area maintains the 2015 ozone standard of 70 parts per billion into the future. Quote, People in the Louisville area are breathing cleaner, healthier air due to EPA's partnership with the state of Indiana, end quote, said EPA Region 5 Administrator Deborah Shore. Reducing ozone pollution in the air is especially helpful for vulnerable populations. On July 28th, a group of justice, faith, and climate organizations calling themselves Now or Never took a protest against government inaction on the climate crisis directly to Congress, but not in the Hall of Congress. Rather, they took it to the Washington Nationals ballpark in Washington, D.C., and interrupted the congressional baseball game. The game has been a yearly ritual between the Democrats and Republicans since 1909. One of the protesters stood in the field playing a violin to symbolize Nero's playing the fiddle while Rome burned. The approximately 60 protesters managed to delay the game, though they didn't have enough participants to stop it completely as they'd intended. The protesters had to deal with the police. The law enforcement presence was hefty because five years ago, someone shot a member of the House of Representatives during the game. The target of the protest wasn't the Republicans, among whom are climate deniers, 
but the Democrats because they currently are in charge of all three branches of government. The game raises money for charity and has many corporate sponsors, among which are fossil fuel companies, including Chevron and BP. Those are the very corporations lobbying Congress to prevent important climate legislation. Thanks to the climate crisis, floods are becoming more common in the U.S., stirring up pollution resulting from prior industrial activities. In 2019, the U.S. Government Accountability Office examined the climate-related threats at Superfund sites, the nearly 2,000 most contaminated properties in the country, and found that 60% were at risk of climate-related events, including flooding. There are many more contaminated former industrial sites, many of which now have homes, buildings, or parks built on them. In six cities studied, scientists found over 6,000 former industrial sites at risk of flooding in the next 30 years. The researchers estimated that almost 200,000 people live on blocks with at least one flood-prone site contaminated with old industrial waste. Some sites are those of closed factories which emitted large quantities of environmentally persistent contaminants, including heavy metals such as lead and cadmium, and volatile organic chemicals into the neighboring soil and water. The areas at greatest risk tend to be clustered along waterways where industry and workers' housing once stood. Today, those areas frequently hold the residences of poor communities and communities of color. Researchers found that the strongest predictor of a neighborhood's containing a flood-prone site where a former hazardous industry was located was its proportion of non-white and non-English speaking residents. After glyphosate, the active ingredient in the weed killer Roundup, atrazine, is the most widely sprayed pesticide in the U.S. Much research has documented that atrazine disrupts the endocrine system in humans and animals and is responsible for birth defects, low sperm counts, and fertility problems. Atrazine is banned or being phased out in 44 countries around the world. U.S. farmers, however, keep spraying away. Every year, they apply 70 million pounds of atrazine on three crops, corn, sorghum, and sugarcane. The EPA proposes having farmers observe a few poultry practices that are supposed to reduce atrazine runoff into nearby waterways when what is needed is a man on the chemical. The agriculture industry says atrazine is key to solving the climate crisis because it prevents tilling, which releases carbon. However, that position ignores the fact that there are tried and true ways to facilitate the storage of carbon in the ground, such as cover cropping. Atrazine is actually a carbon bomb. It's made from oil and gas, and fossil fuels go into the energy-intensive process of creating it. Furthermore, it takes lots of fuel for tractors to spray it over the vast area where it's applied. As Environmental Health News says, quote, until the EPA untethers itself from the wishes of the pesticide industry, we can never trust that it is following science and protecting people and wildlife from the most dangerous poisons, end quote. Heat waves are bad not only for people, but also for wildlife. Last summer's record-breaking heat on the West Coast caused baby hawks to throw themselves out of their nest in a frantic effort to cool off. 
Fish are also suffering. Species that have evolved over thousands of years to live in cool water have died in huge numbers in recent years. Not only is the heat unprecedented, but glaciers that provide a steady flow of cold water throughout the summer are disappearing, threatening Pacific salmon and many other kinds of fish. According to the Center for Biological Diversity, quote, this summer's scorching temperatures will bring more of the same for animals across the country. The grim reality is that these events will become more common because our country, among others, has refused to meaningfully address climate change, end quote. If we don't stop burning fossil fuels, plants and animals will lose the battle to adapt to conditions they're not made for, and extinctions will continue at a rate that the world hasn't experienced in at least 66 million years. According to the New York Times, in a twist of fate, Congress is suddenly poised to pass the most ambitious climate bill in United States history, largely written by a senator from a coal state who became a millionaire from his family coal business and who has taken more campaign cash from the oil and gas industry than any of his colleagues have. That senator, Joe Manchin, Democrat of West Virginia, managed to win several major concessions for the fossil fuel industry in the $369 billion climate and energy package, which was made public on Wednesday by Senate Democrats. Mr. Manchin's vote is critical in the evenly divided chamber because no Republicans support the bill. The measure requires the federal government to auction off more public lands and waters for oil drilling. It expands tax credits for carbon capture technology that could allow coal or gas-burning power plants to keep operating with lower emissions. Mr. Manchin also secured a promise from Democratic leaders to vote on a separate measure to speed up the process of issuing permits for energy infrastructure, potentially smoothing the way for projects like a natural gas pipeline in West Virginia. Yet most environmental groups and Democrats were jubilant about the final bill, which would also pump hundreds of billions of dollars into low-carbon energy technologies like wind turbines, solar panels, and electric vehicles, and would put the United States on track to slash its greenhouse gas emissions to roughly 40% below 2005 levels by 2030. Surreptitiously deflating SUV tires at night as a protest against the large vehicle's oversized contribution to the climate crisis has spread from the UK to the US. The activists call themselves tire extinguishers, work in wealthy neighborhoods and do their job by jamming a lentil into a tire valve to release the air slowly overnight. The activists leave a leaflet explaining their actions and the harms SUVs do on the windshield and move on to the next car. Since June, tire extinguishers have deflated the tires on SUVs and pickup trucks in New York, the San Francisco Bay Area, and Chicago. The tire extinguishers have good reason to be alarmed. In the past decade, SUV emissions have topped those of all shipping, aviation, heavy industry, and trucks. Throughout the world, SUVs spew into the environment some 700 megatons of carbon dioxide each year, equivalent to all the emissions from the UK and the Netherlands combined. 
the tire extinguishers take care not to target vehicles with disabled stickers or any SUVs that seem to be used for certain kinds of work. On one night in New York City, they spared an SUV with a surgeon sign on the window. But another SUV was so huge and gross, as they put it, that they deflated two of its tires. Quote, it's a public shaming, end quote, said Dana Fisher, a University of Maryland sociologist who studies environmental protest. Quote, the target of public shaming is very unlikely to change their opinion. So the question is, what's the point? It's an innovative, simple tactic to take the air out of someone's tires. It's not harmful, it's just annoying. It's like the training wheels to something confrontational, end quote. Inside Climate News reports that despite the risks of building on barrier islands, developers kept constructing homes on North Carolina's Outer Banks. Now, as sea level rises and storms become more frequent and powerful, the famed vacation spot is fighting an increasingly difficult battle to keep from washing away. Still, nowhere are the threats more visible than along the famed Outer Banks of North Carolina, where each summer a flotilla of SUVs deliver eager vacationers, swelling the population nearly tenfold to over 300,000, while also fueling a tourist economy that supports thousands of jobs and generates millions in tax revenues for local governments. Nearly four decades ago, the University of Virginia coastal geologist Robert Dolan, a longtime researcher of barrier islands, wrote that the Outer Banks are one of the highest natural hazard risk zones along the entire eastern seaboard of the United States. He cited the bank's unique geography and risky exposure to storms, volatile currents, and percussive winds. Despite these risks, developers continue to add billions of dollars of real estate from Corolla in the north to Oracoke Village in the south, making the Outer Banks the fastest growing section of the North Carolina coast. Property values have soared to an all-time high. Dare County, which includes thousands of beach homes, recently valued all of its property at nearly $18 billion, while the value of ocean property in smaller Currituck County has ballooned to almost $5 billion. It's as if no one cares, says Danny Couch, a Dare County commissioner, real estate agent, and sometime tour guide, quote, a lot of people have so much money they don't care about the risk, end quote. Pembroke, Maine, population about 900, has shot down the Canadian company Wolf Resources' plan to open a silver mine in the community. The mine was to be uphill from the wells residents rely on for water and just two miles from the estuary of Cobbs Cook Bay. One of the leaders of the grassroots effort to stop the mine, Severin Sharner Fleming, observed that in Pembroke, quote, people are not all in the same part of the political spectrum, but our common ground is literally our common ground, end quote. Fleming has lived in the area for only five years and operates an organic farm plus Greenhorns, an organization the purpose of which is to transition farms to more diverse, resilient, and environmentally friendly agriculture. Fleming helped organize the Pembroke Clean Water Committee, which sponsored information programs with health, legal, and geology experts. 
those attending the programs learned that the type of silver mining Wolfton was proposing exposes sulfide deposits or tailings to oxygen and water, and it forms sulfuric acid. The acid can leach heavy metals like lead, arsenic, and mercury from the nearby rock. In the worst case scenario, mining would leave waterways with contents that are more like battery acid than water and can't be re remediated. Luckily, Maine's state constitution grants cities and towns broad home rule powers, enabling mine opponents to collect enough signatures for a public vote. On May 4th, 129 people voted against the mine and 48 for it. Last year, Eco Report reported over 1,000 deaths of manatees in Florida. Unfortunately, another 631 have died so far this year. A dwindling food supply and malnutrition are pushing these iconic sea creatures to the brink. Nearly 20% of the Atlantic population of Florida manatees died last year, shattering the record of manatee deaths. The rate has slowed this year but remains far above average. There just isn't enough food for them. Summer months are critical because that's when manatees can access more of their dwindling food supply. But even those that do survive the coming months may be too weakened by malnutrition to get through the winter. The Center for Biological Diversity has fought for years to protect manatees, including by filing lawsuits to secure their Endangered Species Act protection to save them from harmful algal blooms. The effects of agriculture, septic tanks, and urban runoff are dirtying the manatees' marine habitat and impeding the growth of seagrass, one of their key foods. Collisions with boats also put manatees in peril. But there is hope. Thanks to the legal action by the center, the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service has agreed to update the way it protects manatee habitat. It's progress. Much more needs to be done. It will be several thousand years before the end of the sixth mass extinction. So if we want manatees to survive the event, they will need to be fed and protected for a very long time. Extinction Rebellion, the International Climate Action Group, has broken two windows at the entrance to the News UK building in London to protest the British media's dangerous and misleading coverage of the current climate change-induced heat wave in Britain. As two people broke the windows, four people, including a leading scientist, chalk sprayed, tell the truth, and 40 degrees equals death on the outside of the building, and pasted recent copies of the Sun newspaper headlines onto the windows. The action came two days after six health care providers were arrested for breaking windows at the investment bank J.P. Morgan's London headquarters. Instead of warning readers about the increased risk of such heat waves as the climate crisis intensifies, the Sun newspaper trivialized the crisis, displaying on its front pages images of women in bikinis, beachgoers, and children licking ice cream cones. Meanwhile, for the first time in history, the British government declared a level four emergency heat red alert as temperatures climbed to almost 104 degrees Fahrenheit. One protester, Steve Tews, a former journalist for The Sun, pointed out that newspapers have spent decades denying or ignoring the climate crisis so that their profits stay high. He said the newspapers aren't really newspapers at all, but quote, propaganda sheets, 
end quote. For Eco Report, I'm Juliana Daly. And I'm Cynthia Roberts. Here at Eco Report, we are currently looking for reporters, engineers, and segment producers. Our goal is to report facts on how we're all affected by global climate disruption and the ongoing assaults on our air, land, and water. We also celebrate ecologists, tree huggers, soil builders, and an assortment of champions who actively protect and restore our natural world, particularly those who are active in South Central Indiana. All levels of experience and all ages are welcome, and we provide the training you'll need. WFHB also offers internships. To volunteer for Eco Report, give us a call at 812-323-1200 or email us at earth at wfhb.org. And now for some upcoming events. Take the full Sturgeon Moon Hike at Spring Mill State Park on Friday, August 12th from 10 to 1130. Anthony will meet you at the Donaldson Cave parking lot for this summertime night hike. Learn the history and lore of the full Sturgeon Moon. Take a beginner kayaking class at the Paintown State Recreation Area at Monroe Lake on Sunday, August the 14th from 10 a.m. to noon. The class is designed for people who have little or no paddling experience. You will learn basic paddling and safety skills in a quiet water area. Sign up at bit.ly slash beg kayak dash AUG 14 2022. Learn composting basics at Winslow Woods Park on Sunday, August 14th from 2.30 to 3.30. Learn how to prepare your garden for the fall, how to incorporate composting in your yard, and why composting is important. Meet in the shelter and register at bloomington.in.gov parks. Cave River Valley Day will take place at Spring Mill State Park on Saturday, August 20th. Events begin at 10 a.m. There are no restrooms in the Cave River Valley area of Spring Mill State Park. So bring water, snacks, bug spray, and a change of clothes. You will be walking through creek beds for at least all of the events for the day. For a list of all the events for the day, go to the Spring Mill State Park website. See an Eastern box turtle during turtle time at Brown County State Park on Sunday, August 21st from 11 a.m. to 4.30 p.m. You will get to see it fed and then take it on a walk. Learn about the unique adaptation these creatures have, what issues they face, and how you can help. Meet on the lawn near the Friends Picnic Shelter. Eco Report is brought to you in part by MPI Solar, a Bloomington business specializing in solar hot water, solar electricity, and solar hot air systems. MPI Solar designs and installs solar power generation systems that encourage independence and individual responsibility. Found locally at 812-334-4003 and on the web at mpisolarenergy.com. This week's headlines were written by Norm Holy and Linda Green. Juliana Daly assembled the script, and Linda Green and Patrick Callanan edited it. Juliana Daly compiled our events calendar. Patrick Callanan produced and audio edited today's show. For WFHB, I'm Juliana Daly. And I am Cynthia Roberts. And this is Eco Report.
You've been listening to The Eco Report. A volunteer-powered production of Community Radio WFHB. In Bloomington, Indiana. Available for download and podcast at news.wfhb.org. Eco Report is your independent, ecologically inspired news source. For South Central Indiana. Bringing you news that the earth wants you to hear. Send your comments, suggestions, and story ideas directly to the Eco Report staff. The email address is earth at wfhb.org. That's earth at wfhb.org.